is a Woodside Church podcast. Thank you, thank you, Ensign. Um, morning, everybody. Just before I start to preach, just a, a couple of things. Um, one is, last Sunday was our third anniversary of starting um, a meeting here in Great Denham as a congregation. It just doesn't seem like it because of all the COVID lockdowns and interruptions. It was two years ago that we celebrated um, with a great big bring and share and everything else uh, for our first one. Of course, we weren't able to do the last one and neither this. Um, But I want to just give you a date for your diary. um, And that is next month, the 13th of March, when we are going to set aside the morning for an official handover of the leadership of all the teams that lead this particular site and congregation from me to Hudson. So that's the 13th of March. If we can possibly do it, we'd love to do bring and share afterwards. If we're not able to do it because of you know, uh, how the COVID situation is or whatever, or we can't do it safely, at least we'll have something at the end, whether it's snacks or samosas or something. But we'll, that, that'll be later announced. Just to go in your diary, 13th of March. Is that okay? Uh, so um, that's uh, for then. Right, so one of the things that happens when you teach through a book in the Bible, you find that you don't get a choice. And Stuart was saying eloquently about, you know, some of the Bible you think, well, how do, we, how, how do we understand this? And this is one of those passages. We're now up to chapter 3 of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses uh, under the title Living Strong. But the title for today is Inner Beauty. And this particular Uh, A passage addresses wives, it addresses husbands, and then it addresses all of us. And David Devonish is preaching on uh, the same uh, topic in uh, the Putno site um, at the same time as me here. We've both done a lot of study and prep and we've discussed a lot together and with Martin and with others, men and women. Um, within the church and if you want to listen to his message as well and compare it with mine you're most welcome it'll be on the website and all the usual ways uh, from the middle of the week but what we wanted both to do at the very beginning is to uh, before reading the scripture is to make a few comments to help us as we read it And the first of those comments is that the title of this talk today is Inner Beauty, which is taken from the part of the scripture that speaks to wives. However, if we listen to it carefully, it could equally apply to the attitudes Peter commands of all of us, husbands and all of us, whatever your situation, young or old, single or married, all of us are addressed at the end of this section that we're studying today. Now, when marriage as a subject is being addressed, it's sometimes hard. You think, oh no, because you're single, you're widowed, you're divorced, or marriage isn't a favorite topic of yours. But if 
when it comes up in the Scripture, it's important that we're faithful to Scripture and we address what Scripture teaches. But I do understand for some, you think, oh, okay, um, and, but I trust that for each of you, there will be something of value and treasure that will equip and help you as you pursue Christ in your walk with him. The word of God, second point, is given to us always in a particular historical and cultural context. The Bible is totally inspired by God and has authority in our lives. That's why we've got Andrew Wilson sharing about this on Friday evening. To understand it properly, we have to understand the historical context and then apply the underlying principle to our cultural situation, whatever that may be. And we contextualize it without undermining God's word itself. Every culture does that, and in every age, the church has done that. And the third thing, before reading the scripture, we must humbly acknowledge that for some women in particular listening today, or to our recordings, these verses have been used wrongly to control and to belittle. There can be painful memories of criticism of how women uh, dress or present themselves, or uh, how these verses have been used sometimes to wrongly stop them from taking up positions of authority or leadership, and even as encouraging women to stay in unsafe marriages, which, as I hope to show you, is not what Peter meant at all. So let's read the passage together. Now it's 1 Peter 3, 1 to 12. As you will have seen from Ruth Matthews's head being cut off the top of the screen, we've got the screen back. But unfortunately, it's not quite adjusted from up there uh, to, to actually go on the, uh, uh, on the actual uh, screen as it uh, should be, as the projector on the screen. So it's 1 Peter 3, 1 to 12, which is on the slide, as Elijah assures me. Uh, but that's not actually there. But the text, thankfully, is. Let's read it together, shall we? In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. 
Now we'll pause in our Bible reading there and we'll come on to the bit about all of us once we look at, well, what do these mean and how do they apply to us today? So first of all, a word to wives. The first six verses address wives, particularly those with non-Christian husbands, with the hope that they might bring Christ, uh, become that their husbands might become Christians because of their Christian wives' behaviour. Now these verses, as I've already said, are sometimes misunderstood. And here are two extreme examples as, as to how they have been misapplied and misunderstood. The first is husbands using these verses as an excuse to selfishly dominate, manipulate, and even abuse their wives who feel trapped and suffer terribly, thinking it's God's will. Secondly, these verses have been misunderstood sometimes by those that use these verses and verses like this to discredit the Bible as outdated, enslaving, and oppressive, thus undermining belief in the Bible being the word of God. Both are extremes, but these verses have been used in both ways. Ironically, the first hearers reading Peter's letter for the first time would have heard it as affirming and empowering. Teachers would not normally address wives directly at all. They would expect any message they bring to be given to the wives through their husbands. But Peter is addressing them directly. And in the culture of the day, the expectation when Peter was writing was that wives would have no friends of their own. Only those that their husband had and that they would worship the gods of their husband and not any others. And a wife's conversion to Christianity, therefore, could provoke antagonism from her husband, who has not yet been converted, would be seen as a threat to him, would bring him embarrassment, shame and dishonour. And to society as a whole, her conversion would bring wider shame and dishonour upsetting the family and the religious status quo. Worshipping Christ was often seen in the culture of the day as being rebellious, which is why the Christians at the time that Peter was writing were being persecuted for their faith. And Peter was therefore writing counterculturally to wives that they were free to have their own belief in Jesus in their own right. And as we uh, uh, look at the verses there, verses 1 to 6 are primarily addressing this. Peter teaches, teaches Christian wives with unbelieving husbands to conduct themselves in such a way as to win their husbands for Christ. Where it says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. We'll go through phrase by phrase. What's that saying? It's saying, wives, honour your husbands. Support them as they use their God-given gifts in the home, whether they be Christian or not a Christian. 
and as they use them in the community. Don't undermine them. Don't belittle them. Don't speak ill of them to your friends or family. Be glad for the leadership that they give. And if both of you are Christians, as Paul put it in Ephesians 5, let your marriage and the way that you are reflect the relationship of Christ and his church. And then Peter goes on, then even if some refuse, some husbands refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. In other words, what Peter's saying here is, don't try to persuade them to become a Christian through nagging, through negative talk, saying things like, well, if you were a Christian, things would be very different around here, type thing. The Christian faith was subversive to the... Uh, sorry, I've just skipped a bit here. Let your actions, let your attitude towards him speak to him. So let him almost say this kind of thing. Do you know, even though my wife refuses to worship my gods and has her own friends now, that would be the church that she's now part of, she's a better wife than she was before she became a Christian. I wonder if I should be following this Jesus too. That's the aim of what you want your your, uh, unbelieving husband to believe. Christian wives could have their own faith as far as the scriptures were concerned. All should take every opportunity to commend the gospel to those around us by the way that we live. That all believers actually should reflect, as we'll find out as we keep going through the passage, reflect the attitude of Jesus in his willingness to serve and in his demonstration of humility. Paul then, uh, Peter then, sorry, addresses what true beauty before God looks like, where he says this, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. So what do we make of this one? Peter is not saying that ladies were to wear plain clothes and no jewellery. He is saying that your clothing and your jewellery, your outward appearance, is not where your true beauty comes from. That's what he's saying. And the construction of that sentence is making it clear when you go to the original language. He's saying to the wives, be beautiful. But let that beauty primarily be the inner beauty of Christ seen and reflected in and through you. In your domestic life And, of course, beyond it. Let that be the beauty which you primarily give attention to. And so when he talks about this, it's not outward adornment, but a gentle and quiet spirit. 
In other words, not argumentative, belittling, or bad-tempered. Rather kindly and full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as it says there in Galatians 5, where I'm quoting, against such there is no law. That is where, not just for wives, but for all of us, our inner beauty truly comes. Does that make sense? Now, does it in any way say, so therefore don't braid your hair, don't wear jewellery? No, it doesn't. It just says that's not where your beauty comes from. It's fine to look great on the outside. It's fine to dress up for the occasion. And the occasion might be every day. But let your true beauty be that which comes from within. That's what this bit is saying here. And then, well, what does gentle and quiet spirit mean? It doesn't mean fade into the background. Be as quiet as a mouse. The first word, gentle, is used of Jesus. When he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And to all believers, in Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. It's the beauty of a Christian attitude that a gentle and quiet spirit is all about. Firm in faith, gentle in spirit. And it makes it clear that this unfading inner beauty in these verses, just have a look at them on the screen, is so precious to God. And as we will see, this is for all of us. It's not just for wives with their husbands. For those of you who are single, when you're looking for a partner, if you are, then think about these qualities primarily as those that you can be attracted to and be drawn to. Now, all of us live in a culture which is full of dress to impress, drive a car that turns heads, buy a house that shows off your wealth, etc., 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 And none of those things in themselves are wrong, but it's not what makes you look good, says Peter here. For Christians, it's our inner attitudes, our Christ-like character that makes us beautiful. And then the last couple of verses of those six verses addressed to wives, Peter says this, This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. What should we make of this? Well, verse 6, let me put it phrase by phrase in a way that we can see what Peter's saying. He's saying this, he's saying, you are Sarah's daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do in response to your actions because you trust in God and have a respectful attitude towards your husband accepting his authority. Now this doesn't make wives a doormat or a walkover, far from it. You are in partnership 
each contributing your own gifts, wisdom, and perspective. And this is how Sarah, when you read through the the text in Genesis, lived with her husband Abraham. In fact, in Genesis 21, verses 8 to 13, Sarah spoke her mind to Abraham when they were planning to celebrate their son Isaac's weaning ceremony. And it made Abraham upset. But with God's approval, Abraham complied with Sarah's wishes. After, as you'll read in verse 12, it says that God said to him, that's to Abraham, do whatever Sarah tells you. And in the whole story, there is no implication of Sarah dishonoring her husband or refusing to accept his authority. But it can be misunderstood sometimes and construed wrongly. How are we doing? So now a word to husbands. You see, we need to be clear that these verses give no excuse whatsoever for a husband to engage in any kind of abuse, unkindness, or lack of respect in the home. Verse 7 makes sure of that. To do so would be sin, and sin should be confronted and challenged wherever it's found. So Peter carries on. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Now the very phrase in the same way, you remember Hudson's preach last week? It's all about how Jesus was in the face of opposition, not retaliating and all these other things that when he went to the cross and so forth. And now, as wives are exhorted to be Christ-like, husbands too are exhorted to be like Christ. In the same way, is following the example of Jesus. This means serving as Jesus served. It means leading as Jesus led and being ready to lay down your life for your wife as Jesus laid down his life for us, his church. Give honor to your wives. This is a strong word. It's the same word as is used where it talks about honor your father, your mother and your father. And this is as difficult in some cultures in the world as the addressing of the wives is often in the West. I can always remember when Catherine and I, in fact, Ensign Asuna were with us, were uh, doing a ministry visit to Kerala, Southwest India, and we did a marriage day with the pastors and wives that we had involvement with of churches there. And we started the day after snacks and drinks and so forth with our sitting down, and I asked one question. First question was this, husbands, who's the most important woman in your life? And they all burst out laughing. And the reason they all burst out laughing, because all of them immediately thought of their mothers. And it's not wrong to honor your parents, of course. But in some cultures, it works around differently. And in that particular culture, honor for your mother superseded however you treated your wife. 
But actually, this is saying this. That husbands, after your devotion to Jesus, your wife is your first and foremost and highest priority. Value her above all others. Treat your wife with understanding, uh, that the, the Peter carries on. Now, at this point, uh, I have uh, uh, leaders across churches talk with each other. We fellowship with each other, have the privilege of gathering a number to pray together. And uh, some of those, uh, uh, some of the uh, pastors of Grace Community Church uh, meeting in Kempston. And Grace Community Church, in the summer, talked through this series. And Martin Salter, in our leader of the church, says, you must hear Simon Rowell's message on this if you're preaching this. We were talking, comparing notes about what we were preaching in our own churches. And I listened. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to say this better than Simon said it himself. I had a, quite a chat with Simon this week. We were talking about this passage and catching up with a few other things. Um, and uh, I said, Simon, can I just use the same questions you asked to husbands? And he said, yeah, of course you can. He said, I probably got it from somewhere else. Uh, anyway, uh, and uh, so I have his blessing as I share this. Treat your wife with understanding, husbands. Husbands, really know your wife. Now, this isn't just about what's her favorite food, what's her favorite color, and you know, what does she look like first thing in the morning, and all those kinds of things. But it's treat your wife with understanding, asking yourself questions like this. And these were Simon's questions. What does God say about her? What brings her the deepest happiness? What is it that makes her life a joy? What is it that blesses and most supports her? What is it that makes her life easier? And easier for her to follow Jesus? What is it that energizes her? And what is it that drains her? What is it that enables her to be the person God has designed her to be? It is your God-given responsibility to know these things, invest in them, and act on them. I found that speak to me. And I'm passing it on to you as husbands. And then Peter goes on, as you live together. Do you know what that implies? It implies partnership, relationship, love, and commitment. And then, if there's any ambiguity, Peter then says, she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Not inferior in any way. Just as important and blessed as you are. And when God sees you, he sees you, husband and wife, as equal partners in all that he has for you. And then Peter says, treat her 
as you should. And he gives this warning. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers, husbands, will be hindered. And husbands, if your prayers don't seem to be getting anywhere lately, then just think about these verses and what it teaches about your relationship with your wife. Please consider this issue honestly. So what does it mean then about the weaker partner? Where it says, she may be weaker than you are. Literally, if you go to the original Greek, it just means weaker vessel. Well, it's commonly understood, and we scrummage through quite a lot of commentaries, uh, and people who've studied this for far longer and far more depth than we have. It's commonly understood to mean women are generally not as strong physically as men are. But we all know there are exceptions to that. But maybe in the time of writing also, weaker is in the sense of social entitlement and empowerment because women actually in that culture didn't have any. There is never in Scripture any implication at all of women being inferior to men emotionally, mentally, intellectually or in giftedness. Husbands should neither dominate nor abdicate, unlike many a comedy made about a marriage scenario. If you don't, let me give you an example. If you don't pray together habitually as a husband and wife, it's a very precious thing to be able to do, but I know that some Christian husbands and wives don't. Then Husbands, don't abdicate your responsibility, but suggest to your wife that you pray together. Don't leave it to your wife to suggest it, because you think, well, she's a bit more spiritual than me, and if she's not suggesting it, I'd rather just leave it. But at the same time, wives, if your husband doesn't suggest it and you really would love to pray with your husband and pray together, then you suggest it because you're at total liberty to do so too. Does that make sense? This is what Peter is, is, is bringing. Uh, this is the kind of balance and that's just a practical example. Please note that Peter teaches principles here but then leaves each couple to work it out for themselves what it looks like for them. And that's really important. So for example, in some marriages, uh, maybe children come along and the wife is the higher wage earner of the two. Maybe she's got a more professional career than the husband. Or maybe they've both got professional careers, but they just decide to do it this way. And the husband becomes the one who is based at home and is there to look after the children after maternity leave and so on. And the wife is the one that goes to work. There's nothing that Peter teaches here that says that's wrong or undermining God's purpose or principle for you as a household. It's for you to work that kind of thing out. And it's absolutely fine if that's what you choose to do. Who does the finances at home? There's nothing there that says it's the, man, the husband's or the wife's job. 
Whoever's the best at it, or whoever's got the time to do it, or whoever's willing to do it may be the one, or maybe you do it together. Or maybe you do it, or none of you do it at all. But I don't suggest that one if I were you. You agree what it looks like. Well, who's in the kitchen the most? Who does the cooking? Well, it could be the husband or the wife. It's, it, it does, it's, it's, that's not what this is talking about. You can work it out. We've got the principle, and then we work out the practicalities. And either is fine. As long as someone does it. Who makes the tea in the morning? If you have tea in the morning. Those sorts of things you work out for themselves. Who does the do it yourself? That's another good question. We won't have a quiz now. You know, Hudson did a quiz last week. Right, those that do the do it yourself at home stand, you know, sometimes the one that does the do it yourself, it's a, it's a catastrophe if the man thinks they must do the do it yourself, but the wife is much better at it. You know, I mean, however it works out, you work it out. But the principles remain the same. For Catherine, in the big decisions, come to an agreement to what is the will of God for you. For Catherine and I, um, there's one occasion when we had a big decision to make. But it started like this. I was uh, leading a, a church which had grown from a, a little church plant that started in her own home and it got quite sizable um, in another part of this county. I was at a pastor's uh, gathering for a few days of prayer and fasting up north and there was one occasion, one session where the Spirit of God just came powerfully on the whole gathering. In that time, God spoke to me very, very clearly about his will for us to move to Bedford. And then as I was, uh, a number of confirmations came in that gathering, but then as I was walking, uh, driving on my own down the A1, uh, I was having a conversation with God, and I, asked, I, I sort of had almost semi-objections, saying, but Lord, what is this, and what about that, and what about the other? And God answered every one of them. And my last one was, what about Catherine, who had no idea at this point what God was saying? He didn't answer. But inside, I had an inner faith and trust that God knew what he was doing. So I got home, and we just had a nice extension to the kitchen, and we were very happy where we were, and a young family beginning, and all these other things. And I just told Catherine the story, and immediately, almost to, to my surprise in a way, pleasant surprise, Catherine said, I feel that's right. And so we started to consult with others, make our plans, and then finally we moved here and we felt God's calling to move here and the rest is history. But if Catherine had said, no, I don't feel any peace about it, we wouldn't have done it. Or we would have spent more time seeking God together on it until we both came to an absolute assurance that this was God's will for us. Husbands, we can hear things wrong sometimes. And we need to give each other time and space to hear from God and move forward in these big things together. Does that make sense? Now, I hope that's helpful because we're going to move on to all of us now for the last uh, five minutes or so. Now, the worship, you may have noticed, we finished a little bit earlier because this takes a bit... It's jolly hard to get this expounded in 25 minutes so I hope you're still with me 
because you know deliberately we're, we're just spending a little bit longer on this, but we've still got time. It's only quarter past eleven. Are we okay? Right. Now let's move on to the next few verses. All of us. This includes every single word, uh, word for all of us. Peter moves on to all of us, regardless of our marital status. Finally, he says, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. One mind literally means sharing the same thoughts and attitudes, thinking harmoniously, molding your thinking on the word of God and on Christ. And then he talks about sympathize with each other. It's an expression of understanding and care for one another's suffering and challenges when they come our way. Weeping with those who weep, as well as rejoicing with those who rejoice. And he talks about love each other. Love others within the church. Peter would have been there physically within earshot when Jesus first said, To his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And here again, no doubt as he's writing or at least dictating to Silas, who he says and acknowledges in his book at the end in chapter 5, is helping him with this. No doubt he's remembering that first time Jesus said those words, love one another as Jesus has loved us. And we find our ways of working that out and putting that into practice, don't we? You see, we are brothers and sisters. That's what it says here. Love each other as brothers and sisters. It's a family picture. The church is a family Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and uncles and aunts. We're family and treat each other as family. In fact, this whole passage is about family. It's about husbands and wives and the impact that has on the children, of course. And then uh, family together. And so much of this is so countercultural in our individualistic, self-orientated society. But actually, we as Christians have something to stand for something to speak of, something to demonstrate. Because let's face it out there, marriage is crumbling and families are crumbling. And there's all kinds of things in, this, in society and in our culture who says, we've got it right, we're modern people. And yet somehow it isn't working. And yet we as the church can stand and let our light shine as we humbly seek to live the way of Christ in practical ways with the principles of the word of God applied into our homes and into our church life. That's what Peter is seeking to impart to the people then. And the word of God still imparts to us today. Tender-hearted, caring and compassionate, not only in actions, but also in feelings and emotions. And then he talks about having a humble heart. It refers to attitudes and our general mental outlook. 
God has called you to bless, to do to those who wrong you, do good to those who wrong you and insult you, those verses say. And he will bless you in return when you do this. There's some fantastic things there that don't have time to expound in great detail, but just go over them sometime and meditate and listen to the Spirit saying, in the light of this, do that. Live this way. That's the sort of family we seek to emulate, is it not? And looking around, I see examples across everywhere. And then Peter just quotes at the end of this little passage here, Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. As with all the Psalms, it was a song they sang. You remember, you imagine singing this one in our worship time. This was the song for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. For the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. For the Lord turns his, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So to sum up, Peter's command in these verses is this. For beautiful wives... And humble husbands to live in a relationship of mutual honor and respect in a way that pleases God, puts the other party first and attracts others to Jesus. And for all of us to treat each other as family, brothers and sisters. Mothers and fathers, to love each other, to be tender-hearted towards each other, to be humble in how we are with one another, honoring and serving one another in a way that reveals the love of Christ to a world that does not know him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and we ask you to strengthen us in your word. But we recognize all of us, I recognize, I, Tim Green, I recognize that I don't get it right by a long way all the time. And while asking for your forgiveness I also ask for your strength for your empowerment by your spirit we ask for your empowerment by your spirit for a fresh filling of your spirit a fresh enabling of your spirit to live the way of Christ in our homes whether we live with others or live alone whether we live as two or as many 
but also as we live within the community of your family, the church. Help us to shine with the attitudes of Christ. Help our inner beauty to be that which is seen the most. And may the glory go to you. Enable us, we pray, in these aspects of what the Word of God teaches, to work things out well, peaceably, humbly, and to your glory. And where there are any adjustments to make in our own hearts, minds, attitudes, relationships, give us the courage to do so. And the grace to handle these things well, we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I've done. And we've got five minutes. I'm going to hand over to uh, Ensign briefly. And then, we, uh, you know, we haven't got to get children yet or anything. But over to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.